Ephesians chapter 6, as we continue going through this epistle, we are now in the latter parts of this chapter in this epistle, where believers are being charged to put on the whole armor of God. Let's begin tonight in Ephesians chapter 6. Let's read verses 10 through 18. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. For two weeks now, we've considered verse 10, where we see that our strength needs to be from the Lord. We are to go forward in His strength and His power, His might. Last week, we took time to consider some ways that we can draw strength from the Lord. And we can do that by enjoying the joy of the Lord. Amen. That's one way. We can dwell on His mercy and grace towards us. And I'm not going to read all the verses we talked about last week on those, but we can draw strength from the love that Christ has for us. We can draw strength from His Word. And sometimes we can draw strength from the saints. Amen. Now, we see tonight that once we are being strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, then in verse 11, we are to put on the whole armor of God. We see, first of all, that this process of armoring up is the responsibility of each individual believer. You have to put the armor on. Amen. You have to put the armor on. Nobody else can do it for you. Second, we see we have to put on the whole armor. Without every piece of armor, there will be vulnerabilities. And third, we see this armor is issued by God. It is His armor. We'll talk more about the armor in detail when we get to those verses. But for now, I just want to say, you cannot get this armor unless you're in God's army. You have to enlist. You have to join up. You have to be saved in order to have this armor. Now, why are we to put on the whole armor of God? Verse 11 goes on to say that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. If we are being told that we need to stand against something, then it means that something or someone is coming against us. That's common logic. We see that we are standing against the wiles of the devil. I found it interesting that this Greek word for against means forward to. So, this either means the direction in which we stand against the wiles of the devil is going forward toward, or the direction in which the attacks are coming, are coming forward toward us, or it's probably both, amen? 
We're going to be onslaughted with these wiles of the devil, and we still need to be moving forward at all times. We should be always going forward in our Christian life, never going backwards. If you're going backwards, the Bible says it's a backslider. We're always to be going forward. Amen. We can rest assured that as we march forward, and as we march in this battle, that the attacks will come. You can just mark it down. The attacks are going to happen. It's uh, the wiles of the devil. What does that mean? It means his tricks. The tricks of the devil. And I know I shouldn't put this association in your head, but I always think of Wile E. Coyote. The wiles of the devil. All those tricks trying to be pulled on the roadrunner. But of course, the devil isn't Wile E. Coyote. Amen. His tricks actually work. Ephesians 4.14 says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. That phrase, lie in wait, is the same as, the Greek word is the same as for wiles. The, the tricks, they, they lie in wait, cunning, crafty, waiting to trip you up, waiting to try and, and catch you. The devil's tricky. It's like, he's like men who lie in wait, waiting to deceive you at just the right opportunity. Through false doctrines. Through cunning craftiness. And so we see the manner in which Satan works is he's tricky. He's crafty. He's cunning. And when he first comes on the scene in the Bible, the Bible says he's subtle. Genesis 3.1 says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any other beast of the field which the Lord God had made. In Noah Webster's 1828 dictionary, he defines subtle this way, sly in design, artful, cunning, insinuating. The devil was sly when he was dealing with Eve. Genesis 3.1 continues, And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And then in verses 4 and 5 of Genesis 3, it says, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, and your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Understand that Satan is very skilled at twisting the Word of God. At taking Scriptures and artfully twisting them and manipulating them and getting you to believe false doctrines. Getting you to believe that it's okay to go maybe to this church. It's okay to go to this establishment. He, he's very tricky at taking the Scriptures and getting you to think that just a little bit is okay. He wants you to view the Bible as a collection of fairy tales written by men. We've all heard that argument before. Well, I don't believe the Bible because none of those things could have really happened. And the Bible is just written by men. He wants to twist that view in your mind on the Bible. He wants to convince you that the Bible is antiquated. That it's not culturally significant in 2020. That it's too hard to understand. That it's not authoritative. And that is not infallible. 
And to any who doubt the Bible version translation issue, I challenge you to read Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, and let me know the very first thing that Satan did to mankind. He twisted the Word of God. This whole debate over King James and and modern versions, is there any validity to it? Well, when I read the Bible, I see what Satan does, and I have to tell you, yes. Things that are different are not the same. His tactics haven't changed over the last 6,000 years. And so if Satan can give you a myriad of different English Bible versions to choose from to try and confuse you, he will. And in fact, he has. Because instead of him saying to you, Yea, hath God said, like he did in the beginning when there was no written word, now with all of this that's out there, people themselves are saying, What is it that God said? They're drawing that conclusion on their own because there's so many different things being said out there. And on that note, another way in which Satan seeks to deceive is to convince people that this King James Bible is too difficult to understand for children. And now we're being told even for adults. What's interesting is, as you study that, you'll find that back there a few generations ago, the King James Bible was said to have a reading level of about 3rd to 6th grade, and now it's like 12th grade to college. We must be getting stupider. I don't know how else to translate that. But I can tell you my kids read it and they don't have a hard time understanding it. I was listening to a famous preacher on the radio on the drive-in one day. And unfortunately, he's always on when I drive in. And, and he once preached from the King James, but years ago he left the King James Bible in favor of modern translations. And, and by the way, the modern translations are taken from other manuscripts. That's really the issue. I'm trying not to get hung up here tonight, so I'll try to stay focused. But he made a statement to this effect. My children had a difficult time understanding the King James Bible, so I got them a Bible which was written more like a novel format with updated language. And he said it made all the difference in the world for them. Before that, he said they they didn't have any interest in reading the Bible, and now all of a sudden they did, and, and it made all the difference. And to that, I would say he may be right. Because now his son is one of the leading pastors in the seeker-sensitive movement, which is all about getting the lost to feel comfortable in church. Even on their website, it states that their church was founded, quote, with the vision of creating churches that unchurched people love to attend. They have more than succeeded at that goal. They have literally brought the world's music into the church. I don't mean the world's sound of music. I mean the world's music putting on concerts of secular bands in church. He calls the Genesis creation a myth. Some of you are thinking, would a move away from the King James Bible really cause all of that? Well, I don't know for sure, but I know it didn't help. Because this particular pastor is casting doubt on the veracity of the Word of God, and why shouldn't he when he doesn't know what version to use? Creation accounts a myth. Well, maybe that assertion was more easily made because his daddy thought it would be a good idea to give him a Bible which, which reads more like a children's book instead of the authoritative Word of God. 
God gave it to us this way. Why do we want a monkey with it? I know some will say, well, you're making too much of this issue. Well, in light of our text, I'm just trying to warn you tonight that this is one of the tricks of the devil. Try to trick you on which Bible is right, which word we can trust, and twisting the Scriptures. Here's an observable fact. Once deception and compromise on the Bible has occurred within a church, corporately, then where will the compromise end? Where will it end? I mean, what is the authority for how we do what we do? We as Baptists like to get up and say the Word of God is our final authority for faith and practice. Well, what happens if that final authority is different across different versions? Could it be a trick of the devil? And what's remarkable to me is that we are the ones who get blasted and yet we're the ones who haven't changed. I've never figured that one out. It's all the tricks of the devil. Another trick of the devil is getting us to be too extreme toward others in our relationships. You may recall when 1 Corinthians was written that Paul was upbraiding the church for allowing a man in the church who was having uh, committing fornication with his father's wife. And Paul said, you're puffed up about it. You're prideful of the fact that you've got a man in your church and you're celebrating this as if nothing's wrong. And what they had done was, if they had taken the idea of grace and they had swung the pendulum way over here. And they said, Every, anything goes because grace. And so, Paul wrote and he said, look, your glorying's not good. And he said this, you need to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. From what we read in 2 Corinthians, it appears that the church at Corinth exercised church discipline. They did as Paul had suggested. But we also learn from 2 Corinthians that it appears that this man is the same man that they're discussing who has repented. That he had gotten things right with God and and had confessed that sin. But the problem was they were not forgiving this man. They were not comforting this man after he had sought for forgiveness. And so they were all extreme in their grace, allowing him to continue in that while still obviously living in sin. But then what they did was they swung that pendulum all the way over to law and said, we don't want you around any longer. It's one of the tricks of the devil. Because Paul wrote to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, so that contrarywise, you ought rather to forgive him, comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore I beseech you that ye would confirm your love toward him. But listen to what Paul says in verse 11. The next verse after that. Or a, a few verses after that. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. It's interesting to me that that verse, which is so often quoted, we all know it, 
in context, is being used to warn us not to keep punishing someone who has gotten their heart right with God. I think we Baptists sometimes fail at this miserably. It's one of the wiles of the devil. He uses this to get an advantage over us. And if you've been in church for any length of time, you've observed it. You've talked to people, you've seen people who are no longer in church and, and, and they stay away. It's a trick of the devil. He's used it many, many times over. Somebody got ostracized for something they shouldn't have done. Many times, unfortunately, it's, it's young believers who are still growing in the knowledge of their Lord and Savior and they don't know a whole lot and, and, and yet they get railed on, they get driven out and guess what? They never do come back. Instead of working with them, instead of trying to help them along, maybe they get the silent treatment from the pastor, from the church. But even after there's a genuine desire to make things right, they're still on the outside looking in. According to 2 Corinthians 2.11, when that happens, Satan is getting an advantage over us. Our relationships, how we deal with people. We've got to be careful in this area. And by the way, this happens from the other direction as well. This is something I have unfortunately become very familiar with now that I'm on this side looking out. And it happens in all stages of Christian life. The truth is, some people who leave, they're the ones who are refusing to allow opportunity for forgiveness. We see it both ways. I've seen those leave who have been asked repeatedly for an opportunity at reconciliation, but they refuse to allow room for forgiveness and Satan gets the advantage once again. Isn't it sad that God's people can't find place for grace and forgiveness? Don't be ignorant of this tactic of Satan. Because it comes up in every church. At some point or another, it happens in every church. Whether by those who refuse to forgive from within, or from those who refuse to forgive from without. And it's heartbreaking. Because it so clearly violates Scripture in what is laid out for how to reconcile relationships. I mean, I can understand people leaving and not coming back if there's no attempt at reconciliation. But how heartbreaking that people who say that they have been forgiven by God for Christ's sake can't do the same for others. Especially when there's an effort being made. And listen, you've got to watch for this because it leads to bitterness. Bitterness is a root that will lead to fruit. Well, I don't like what he said to me. Okay. Does he even know what he said was offensive? That's always a fun one. I don't like what you said. What did I say? I mean, look, without communication, any relationship will falter. I'm always amazed at those who absolutely refuse to allow a conversation in which the hope is for reconciliation. I've asked people, can we please talk? And they just say no. How can we call ourselves God's people when we can't even find it in our hearts to forgive and comfort those who seek to salvage relationships? That's what Paul's talking about. And here's what the, the false spiritual people will say. Oh, I've forgiven him. Oh, really? Does he know that? Come on now. 
It's no wonder we aren't effective in reaching the lost. We can't even be merciful and gracious and forgiving and comforting to the ones who are in Christ. We are the ones who should know better and who should understand God's desire. I hope you're with me on this because this is a very common wile of the devil. Why wouldn't we try our best to restore relationships? As a church, that's what we should try to do. Look, don't, don't get mad and bitter at somebody. At least try to reach out and make it right. I want you to know I've never been glad at anybody who's left. Never. I, I, I've never said, well, thank God, God's purging. I think I might have shared with Brother Sullivan one day we were talking. Uh, look, I don't believe in backdoor revivals. It's never good to weaken the body of Christ. Some hurt more than others, but they all hurt. And in every case, I can tell you as your pastor, I have tried to make every single departure right. Every single one. Every time. But it takes two parties to be willing to do it. And listen again to what results when there's no desire to be forgiven. From 2 Corinthians 2.7, it says, Lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Listen tonight, if you are one who is refusing to be forgiving and comforting, then you are responsible for causing an abundance of sorrow and grief upon the one who is reaching out, seeking for reconciliation. It hurts, it's sorrow, it's grief. Don't be the cause of sorrow for somebody trying to do the right thing. And, and listen, if there is someone you feel has wronged you and they're trying to make it right, allow them that opportunity so they can stop being overcome with much sorrow. Now, another trick of the devil is to try and use the simplicity that is in Christ to trip us up. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 3 and 4 say, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. You see, Satan seeks to be tricky when it comes to our salvation through Christ alone. And listen, I've seen people leave Baptist churches for false doctrine. He wants to corrupt the simple gospel message. In the days of the first century, we read often of that church or those churches then being faced with Judaizers who would come and say, you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. It's great that you have Christ, but you're not all the way in yet because you have to do some sort of a work in order to be saved. And don't fall for this while of the devil. They were adding to the simplicity which is in Christ. Adding to salvation. I'm sure it was no different then than it is today. I'm sure they went through the same things, uh, the same false doctrines, 
We, we hear today that works are necessary for salvation. We hear that baptism is necessary for salvation. We hear that church membership is necessary for salvation. And in every case, Satan is behind the scenes. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen and 15. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel... For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Don't fall for the wile of the devil, which tries to lead you away from the simple salvation that's in Christ. Don't believe the idea that you have to add works. Don't fall for that junk. Salvation is in Christ alone. Period. Plus nothing, minus nothing. And any teaching which seeks to add to Christ's simple plan of salvation, it's from the devil. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. These are just some of the tricks of the devil. He seeks to deceive on the Word of God. He seeks to deceive you in refusing to restore relationships. He seeks to deceive you in the simplicity of the salvation that is in Christ alone. And I'm not even going to take the time to really get into how Satan seeks to deceive in music. In books, in movies, people say ignorant things like this. It's just a book. It's just a movie. It's just a song. No, it's not. If that's the case, then this is just a book. I said a couple weeks ago, there is a spiritual component behind everything. And Satan wants you to be deceived that that book is just another book. That it's not going to hurt to watch that movie. And you better be careful with that kind of thinking because it's one of the devil's tricks. I know some don't want to believe this, but you open yourself up for satanic attacks when you get involved with unrighteousness. How many men have plunged into the depths of pornography because something was only supposed to be harmless? How many have plunged into the depths of the occult because that music, which their parents said was only a phase, ended up capturing their heart and their mind? And if you don't believe music is that powerful, you are deceived. I can't remember the details, but... It was supposed to be a Christian artist, in fact, and one of the preachers that I was on a kick. I go in phases of the preachers I like to listen to, and I was on this particular kick. And he was given the account of a young woman who committed suicide, a teenage girl. And when they opened her diary that day, they found the lyrics to a song that was supposedly a Christian band, quote unquote, about how she was a monster and how she was this and that. And she ended up killing herself. And the last thing she wrote about was that song. Don't tell me it's just another song. How many have gone astray because it was only supposed to be a cup of coffee with someone else? 
How many churches which, which used to be a standard of holiness have changed their ways because it's just a choice of worship style? Or it's just a Bible version? Or that's just a stupid standard? My point is this, we are deceived by Satan because Satan's not going to show you the end result. He'll get you to see the pleasures of sin. He'll get you to see the effectiveness of compromise. Well, if I just compromise, I can achieve this quicker. How many are drunks today because it was only going to be one drink? I'm just a social drinker. How many are addicted to drugs today because it was only going to be one hit? How many have an STD today because it was only going to be just this once? How many are bankrupt because it was only going to be one night of fun gambling? You see, we need to put on the whole armor of God because the devil is waiting to trick us any way he can. And I know Christians who will hear this message and will say, you're nuts. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Let me end by asking you this. Is God greater than the devil? Of course, the answer is yes. Therefore, it stands to reason that if we put on the whole armor of God, then we can have victory over the wiles of the devil. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. Are you standing against the wiles of the devil? I know we haven't got to the armor yet, but are you putting on the whole armor of God? Don't fall for the devil's tricks. Just think about the areas we've covered tonight and work backwards. Remember, he seeks to deceive you on the Word of God in restoring relationships and in salvation. Therefore, in order to not be deceived in these areas, then you need to study the Word of God. You need to be forgiving and be a restorer of relationships. And you need to rest in God's salvation in Christ. When you immerse yourself in the Word of God, and when you are forgiving of others, and when you understand your standing before God, then you are far less likely to be deceived. When you understand your standing in God, that your salvation is complete in Christ, you're not going to want to wander over to false doctrine. Because you know your standing. When you study the Word of God, you're not going to be tripped up by false doctrine because the best way to identify false doctrine is to know the truth. And when you're forgiving of others, you're not going to be a bitter person. When it comes to all those other areas where the devil seeks to deceive us, if we're putting on the whole armor of God, then we'll be just fine. we'll start drawing away from those things that we say are just. Amen. It's just music. It's just books. It's, it, it, it's, it's just the way I dress. It's just... Listen, all that stuff has got a spiritual component to it. 
It's when we start laying aside these pieces of armor that we go astray. We'll have to look at that more in future messages. But for tonight, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Let's pray.